Good morning, and welcome to worship here at Central Baptist Church. As we begin this morning, I invite you to pass the friendship pads at the end of the pews. If you have any questions or want some more information about our congregational life, please include a way that you can be contacted. One great thing about this church is our inclusion. We value voices outside of our church and our tradition, people who can give us wisdom about communal living and a different perspective on God and faith. This morning, we welcome one of those voices, Rabbi David Wurtschafter, who has been serving the Temple of Death Israel and the Lexington community since 2015. You may have heard him speak here before or around the Lexington community. I know when I attend rallies and prayer gatherings, I always look forward to the words of Rabbi Wurtschafter. He remains dedicated to the values at the core of his education and training, devotion to learning, commitment to inclusion, and working for justice. All of these things are evident in his words and his activism. Rabbi Wurtschafter, we welcome you to this place, and we look forward to the wisdom that you have to share this morning. Let us worship God together.
Good morning. As you're able, please stand for the call to worship. <clears throat> we rejoice and praise your holy name today, O Lord. We give thanks because your word gives us hope. You are the source of deep-seated faith. And our spirits are refreshed in your presence. If you would pray with me, please. Most gracious Father, we come today burdened, loaded down, a dozen different things flying around in our minds. Help us as we are here in your presence to calm our souls, calm our spirits. Clear our minds so that we may be able to reflect, to listen, to hear and understand what you would have us to hear. Lift us up, Father. Strengthen us. And lead us into this coming week with a refreshed and renewed spirit. For we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. And now, turn to one another and pass the peace of Christ.
Good morning, if you'll join with me in our first reading from first Jer excuse me, Jeremiah 17. Thus says the Lord, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose heart turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when he comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else, it is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. And our Christian witness is from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three. And the greatest of these is love. For the word of God that works its way into us, thanks be to God.
Let's pray again, please. Dear God, in a world where it's easy to be afraid, we pray that you will fill us with so much love, there's no more room for fear. In a world where there's a lot of reason to hate, that you will fill us with so much love, there's no more room for hatred. Where it's easy to judge, give us enough love that our judgments are taken away, that our selfishness is taken away, that our heartaches are healed, and our world is mended by this love that you give us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated.
I'm not used to congregants being so quiet. Good morning. Thank you for the honor of having me here. I was uh, reviewing your Sabbath program and I noticed um, your church's policy, um, a wise one, um, when it comes to partisan politics, the endorsements of political candidates and couldn't agree more about this not being the right place for that. Um, one of my early mentors taught me that the rabbi who has to uh, play party politics endorses a candidate from the pulpit uh, has lost the day. So uh, I want to steer well clear of endorsements today when it comes to candidates. But I will not lie to you in this holy place that I haven't come to bear my heart on a moral issue. It is a moral issue. If it were merely a political issue, I wouldn't need to be here. You see, I'd like to begin with a story. It's a story of a German-Jewish refugee. His name was Rabbi Joachim Prince. And he fled Nazi Germany to come to the United States. And as fate and history would have it, he was the last person at the lectern before Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And so it was his job to set the stage for the greatest moment in American oratory, perhaps the greatest setup speech in American oratory. And so he said these words, in the realm of the spirit our fathers taught us thousands of years ago that when God created man, he created him as everybody's neighbor. Neighbor is not a geographic term, it is a moral concept. It means our collective responsibility for the preservation of man's dignity and integrity. Prince's argument is rooted in solid biblical and ethical ground. Love your neighbor as yourself, is not followed with a string of caveats permitting a lower standard of behavior towards Benjamites, Reubenites, or anyone who has ever lived in Simeonite territory or had dealings with Levites. Leviticus doesn't delineate neighbor that way or limit who merits neighborliness along those lines. During travels in Guatemala with American Jewish World Service last month, I studied this speech on the anniversary of King's birthday with 14 other colleagues from all over the United States. And we considered how this German-American rabbi's message can be applied to a Central American crisis. In the course of an intense week of dialogue with human rights workers whose efforts are criminalized, midwives whose skills are going unrecognized, 
women's rights activists whose concerns are marginalized, journalists whose reporting is trivialized, and survivors of internal displacement and forced eviction whose very right to exist has been jeopardized, it became painfully clear that the lives of our Guatemalan neighbors are dangerously lacking the collective responsibility required for the preservation of dignity and integrity. Guatemala's governing forces are doing everything they can to reject accountability for the past and deflect responsibility for the future. Rather than encouraging efforts to end impunity for violence and corruption, those in power are trying to enact measures that would make reckless leaders above the law. Legislation currently proposed in Guatemala's Congress would end culpability for war crimes and human rights abuses during the 30 years plus conflict and severely curtail the ability of non-governmental organizations to perform the work they do to stabilize civil society. While we were in the capital of Guatemala City, thousands came out to protest the decision of President Morales to expel a United Nations-backed commission investigating corruption in the country. Since 2007, the International Commission Against Impunity in Guatemala, funded by the UN, the United States, and the European Union, has worked with Guatemalan justice agencies to target corrupt officials. Cutting off the work of this vital commission should sound alarm bells in democratic countries throughout the world. A nation cannot build a better future by disregarding responsibility for its past. We heard so many heartbreaking and yet inspiring stories during our journey, but perhaps the most moving came from Hector de Rosa a survivor of forced eviction and ethnic cleansing. In 1982, as a child in the village of Santa Maria, Hector watched helplessly as his mother, grandmother, and four of his siblings were slaughtered as part of a massacre that targeted the Maya population suspected of supporting guerrilla fighters. Hector, his father, and his brother fled to Mexico, where he went to primary and middle school before eventually returning to Guatemala to rebuild his community and become a human rights attorney. Listening to Hector's story, one couldn't help but think of Elie Wiesel of blessed memory, who as an adolescent survived Auschwitz, where members of his family were murdered. Like Wiesel, Del Rosa has overcome a horrific trauma and devoted his life to bearing witness for the dead and demanding justice for the living. Perhaps he and his colleagues will someday join Wiesel as recipients of the Nobel Peace Prize. Until then, we need to consider the crisis in which our Guatemalan neighbors find themselves. Neighbor as Rabbi Prince preached so passionately, is not a geographic term.
we cannot close our eyes or wall out our collective responsibility. We have for one another the preservation of dignity and integrity call us to action. The chaos and cruelty that continue to send thousands of desperate families fleeing to our border cannot be solved by categorizing people as either countrymen or alien. Prins implored us to think more broadly than that. Neighbor is not a spatial term delineated by boundaries, but a moral construct defined by brotherhood. So it was with great confusion two weeks ago that I listened to a State of the Union address in which the President evoked the horrors of the Holocaust while extolling the virtues of denying refuge to those fleeing poverty and violence. The juxtaposition is utterly incongruous. A worldwide refugee crisis was a con critical contributing factor to the Holocaust. Imagine what would have happened had the United States, Canada, and South America passed legislation allowing temporary asylum to European Jews trapped between the Nazis who wanted them dead and the nations of the world that refused to take us in. Rabbi Yitzhak Greenberg has written that among the lessons of the Holocaust is that no human being should be denied a place to flee. How can you lionize the sacrifices of World War II and then lash out against so-called misguided compassion with the battle cry of America first? It was thoughtful of the president to honor survivors and liberators, but if we had practiced America first during World War II, we would have never stormed the beaches of Normandy or freed concentration camps if we only sacrificed American lives to fight against nations that actually attacked us, we would have only gone to war against the empire of Japan. But that's not what happened. How unfortunate that the president didn't choose to acknowledge African-American veterans who liberated Europe and its concentration camps and then returned home to join in the civil rights movement. My neighbors, will you permit me to tell you the story of three Adolphs? It's not a rhetorical question. Can I tell you this story? <laughs> I thought this was a Baptist church. I get an amen. Yes, tell it. A... My brothers and sisters, my friends and neighbors, will you permit me to tell you the story of the three Adolphs? Yes. All right. Okay. That's more like it. My great-grandfather... Adolf Wirtschafter, yes, you heard me right, his name was Adolf Wirtschafter. He came to this country from Kajitsa, Czechoslovakia at the turn of the 20th century. He was a German-speaking Jew, one of eight siblings living in that country who wanted more opportunities than were possible there. Among his family, 
was my grandfather, Dr. Zoltan Wirtschafter, for whom my son Zachariah, Zachariah is named. This Dr. Wirtschafter served as a physician in the Air Corps during World War II, advising as to what servicemen should eat before long flights like the Burma run. Zoltan had two sons, the oldest of whom was Dr. Jonathan Wirtschafter, my father of blessed memory. Jonathan Wirtschafter carried on the medical tradition of his family, later to be broken by all five of his children. And he became a neuro-ophthalmologist in the late 1960s. This Dr. Jonathan Wirtschafter, the son of an immigrant, was successfully recruited to be the first Jewish department chair at the University of Kentucky here in Lexington. And it was there at the medical school and in its clinic where he treated a patient you may have heard of. His name was Adolf Rupp. But other word chapters didn't get to dream the American dream. All of my great-grandfathers, brothers, and sisters, and all save but one of their descendants, died during the nightmare of the Nazi Holocaust, led by Adolf Hitler. That's the story of the three Adolfs. The circumstances under which my grandfather and great-grandfather came here were not dire. But had they remained there, they would have died. Americans are perfectly free to make a case for more restrictive or more compassionate immigration laws. What we aren't free to do is to delude ourselves about the consequences. If we build a multi-billion dollar wall, unlikely to deter desperate people from crossing our border, then the moral lesson of the Holocaust will be tragically ignored. And we and our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be left with the same haunting question as generations before us. Why is it that we didn't let more people in, even temporarily, until the violence and hunger and homelessness subsided? No conflict lasts forever. Even the 100 years war came to an end. Only, you see, we cannot repatriate the dead. Those who perish cannot go home. Those who we don't admit here cannot stay and raise their children and grandchildren and build an American dream and start American businesses that employ Americans. So we can build a wall and we can turn people away if we want to but what we cannot do is to pretend that it's the most responsible or patriotic choice. The president is free to revive an anti-immigrant, anti-minority phrase from the 1920s and 30s. He has every right to do so. 
but so too, my brothers and sisters, my neighbors, my friends, I, Rabbi David Dine Wirtschafter, the great-grandson of immigrants, the grandson of an immigrant, the descendant of the fortunate one of eight who, blessed to become a citizen of this great nation, have a right to say, Mr. President, with all due respect, sir, in the eyes of this American Jew, nothing could be more un-American than America first. The second of many troubling things we heard or saw during the speech was drawing a direct correlation between being in the country illegally and committing violent crimes. Might we ask ourselves, did the blessing of citizenship prevent the man who massacred his fellow Americans in Pittsburgh from doing what he did? Did citizenship prevent the man in the Kroger parking lot in Louisville who tried to attack a church? Did his citizenship status prevent him from doing what he did? Or consider this, my friends and neighbors, my brothers and sisters, on this President's Day weekend, let us ask if citizenship status contributed to the assassination of Presidents Lincoln, Garfield, McKinley, and Kennedy. If one is to going to bring citizenship status to bear in violent attacks, then one has to be consistent. At least one media outlet has called the speeches claims about illegal aliens and crime misleading, and his assertions about the benefits of a border wall false. It was extremely difficult to listen to oratory that repeatedly distorted the truth and regularly reverted to demagoguery. Two presidents from two different parties demanded the end of a destructive barrier. President Kennedy defied the Soviet Union with these words, ich bin ein Berliner, and President Ronald Reagan did so with the words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. On this Sabbath, before President's Day, let us remember how administrations past boldly challenged the morality of walling people in. Let us honor their legacies by summoning up the courage to question the morality of walling people out. Reverend Johnson, and all of you today have graciously shared with me the lectionary you study this Sabbath. It isn't often that a rabbi comes to a house of worship and gets to hear the words of Corinthians. <laughs> to say nothing of reciting them, with your permission, this is not a rhetorical question, with your permission, May I recite them? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful 
or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. We do not need to chant USA to be proud of our country. We don't need MAGA hats to prove our patriotism. We don't have to denigrate others to elevate ourselves. We don't need to make misleading statements that bring out the worst in one another. We don't need to stoop to homophobia, racism, sexism, xenophobia, and bigotry to gain a following on Facebook and Twitter. Love of nation, love of faith, love of family, love of our neighbor, love of oneself expresses itself in a much more constructive and gentle way. As Rabbi Prince taught us, humanity cannot be limited by geography, nor can love. The life of a human being on one side of a border is as precious to our creator as life on the other. Love requires collective responsibility for the preservation of our dignity and integrity. In the depths of his love and pastoral wisdom, our friend and teacher, Reverend Johnson, reminds us that the circumstances in which we find ourselves right now are not okay, but it's going to be okay. If your saddest and angriest moments right now are anything like mine, you might find yourself asking, but how do you know that, Reverend? He knows it because he and you come from a faith tradition that says love bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Now, may I share a small passage of our lectionary from this past Sabbath with you? Exodus 28, verses 11 and 12, describing the clothing of the high priest says, on the two stones of the ephod, that priestly garment, you shall make seal engravings, the work of lapidary, of the names of the children of Israel, having bordered them with the frames of gold, attach the two stones to the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones for remembrance of the Israelites' people whose names Aaron shall carry upon his shoulder pieces for remembrance before the eternal God. In commenting on these verses, the Jewish Study Bible offers the following insight. Each time Aaron entered the sanctuary wearing these inscriptions, he not only represented the Israelites, but carried before God an implicit prayer in their behalf. 
the image of Aaron carrying the names of the children, literally bearing the weight of them on his shoulders, calls on us to consider the names we carry, legally and spiritually. The names we bear on our birth certificates, driver's licenses, and passports are linked to the first, middle, and last names of those who came before us. And so, too, there are the names that we carry in our hearts, people who made an impact on our lives, who taught us valuable lessons, who lifted us up when we were feeling so low. And when we remember them, when we share their memories, aloud or not, we represent them to those we care for and those who care for us. And furthermore, each time we enter our sanctuaries or any place we value, we carry before God an implicit prayer to live up to the ideals of those we love and that those we love be remembered for good. Today, you have invited me into your sacred space, your church, your sanctuary, your spiritual home. And just like you, I carry the names of those who gave me life and enriched my life. And my understanding of the world was enriched by the names of dozens of Guatemalans I met during my journey there. So I bear with me today entering this holy place, singing in this holy place, worshiping in this holy place, hearing the sacred word in this holy place. I bear with me the names of the journalists risking their lives by writing the truth. I bear with me the names of human rights attorneys risking their lives by arguing for the widow and the orphan and the poor in their midst. I bear with me the names of women's rights groups risking their lives by demanding equality with men. I bear with me the names of nation that fears it will be forgotten, forsaken, and forcefully driven deeper and deeper into despair. But I say to you that we will not forget them. We will bring their names into our houses of worship, the offices of the State House, and the halls of Congress. And when we bear their names, we will carry a prayer that they will be remembered for good. That through their lives, our lives will be elevated and enriched with the opportunity to proclaim the importance of others. And that though their lives are horrible right now, it will be okay one day. The time has come to love our Guatemalan neighbors, our Central American neighbors, our Mexican neighbors, all of those fleeing to our border as precious as our own. I urge you to join with me and others as we lobby our Kentucky congressmen and the current administration to stop regarding refugees as a threat to our way of life and redirect our resources into making a greater investment in the kind of civil society that motivates people to remain where they are. Whether it's through American Jewish World Service 
or Christian World Service or Kentucky Refugee Ministries, I urge you to take part in Refugee and Immigrant Day at the Capitol on Wednesday between 12.30 and 3.30 p.m. You can get more information about that on Facebook, on the, on the uh, website, or through your clergy. You can donate to any of the organizations above, or you can donate your time to making the lives of immigrants and refugees right here in Lexington a little better by teaching them to read, teaching them the skills that they'll need, driving them to a job interview, helping them to adjust to life in their new nation. Thank you for inviting me to this beautiful house of worship. I ask that I might bless you with the words from the book of Numbers. May I share those words with you? Before I do, I just want to reflect back with you these beautiful words from our opening hymn, Inspired I See, from Psalm 966. It's back on uh, hymn number 54, if you want to look at it with me. The third verse, Bless the Lord, our refuge sure. Let our songs of praise be heard, by whose justice we are tried, by whose grace our guilt deferred. When our life's sure end shall come, bring us to your heavenly home. O God of our refuge, God who sees the orphan, the alien, the immigrant, God who has borne witness and extended mercy to so many fleeing in despair. God of all men and women. God who calls on us to see each other as created, but Selim Elohim in the divine image and to honor one another's humanity. I share with you these words of blessing, my friends. May God bless you and keep you. May the light of God burn brightly inside you and illuminate the journey before you. May God grant strength to all people. And may God bless all people with peace. Bless the Lord, our refuge sure. Good Sabbath. Thank you for having me here. You say wherever you like. <laughs> By our leave. Yes. A message for our day, a message for us, a message for this time.
an opportunity for us to reflect on the moral construct of neighbor and a call to action. Thank you, Rabbi, so much for one of the more powerful and pointed messages this, this pulpit has heard. So I invite you to reflect. I invite you to engage. I invite you to stand and sing as we sing, and Aaron will be down front. If anyone would like to come and speak with him or any decision you would like to make or commitment that you'd like to give, you're welcome at this time as we stand and sing. We have just a few announcements before we go. We are so glad, first of all, and want to express our great thanks and honor at Rabbi Wordchapter's presence with us this morning. Thank you so much for bringing this timely word that we need to hear uh, for encouraging us to, to, to work and to live out the love that we 
profess uh, to be a part of. So we are so grateful for you this morning. Thank you for that. Um, we have a few other announcements, a few other things that are happening. Book group will begin back this week. There's a couple of sign-up sheets on the foyer, one for Tuesday evening at the cellar, another for here on Thursday afternoon. Um, you don't have to have read any of the book before you attend. You can just come and find out and learn a little more about it, and then we'll go from there. We're reading Brene Brown's uh, The Gifts of Imperfection, so please sign up there or find me at the sign-up table, and I'll give you some more information about it. Next week, after worship, we have our staff transition uh, listening session. Uh, that will be after uh, worship uh, next week on February 24th. We invite you all to be here for that. Lunch will be provided, and uh, nursery will be available as well for that. Also, um, whether or not you have any skills with building or construction, you are invited to be a part of the Habitat Build that is going to be happening soon. Um, several churches and congregations, we do this every other year with a group of churches in uh, Lexington. We're going to be building a house this year with Habitat. Uh, you can sign up on the foyer uh, table for that as well. Um, and lastly, uh, Central 101, we have a, a, if you'd like to know a little bit more about our congregation, about our history, about what it means to be a member here, um, we'd uh, invite you to join us on March 3rd after the 11 o'clock service for that as well. Uh, and you can find some more information about that. Finally, we're so glad that you have joined us for worship. So grateful that you have been here today, uh, that we could worship together and be encouraged to continue to live the love that God has called us into. Now, if you would, receive this benediction. When you lift your eyes to see the steep mountains ahead, remember the Creator walks with you. When you look upon the shadowed valley below, remember the shepherd at your side. When you behold the promise that lies before you, do not fear. For the Spirit of God is in you, and in your sisters, and in your brothers, and in your siblings, to bring you to a land of peace. Amen. Go in peace.